you know, we all have a mental committee that's that's installed within our brains and our minds. And some of us have a more benevolent uh, judge leading the leading the roundtable. And some of us have a more critical voice and hear hear nasty things coming at us all day. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about me and my work as an intuitive guide and teacher at karenhager.com. Now then, how do the things that hurt us leave a mark? Our unhealed wounds can become triggers. A person, an object, smell, sound, dream, anything can set us off and we may not understand why. Buried memories and emotions can surface in ways that might sabotage us. My guest today is Dr. Jacqueline Heller. She says knowing our emotions and our shifts in the here and now is crucial because our feelings are rooted in past events that might have no obvious context today, but they control our attitudes and our behavior in ways we don't understand. Getting in touch with shifts in our body, she says, can help us label our emotions and interpret and understand our feelings. Are you ready to meet her? Jacqueline Heller, MD, a psychoanalyst, is board certified in psychiatry and neurology. Her professional experience as a practicing clinician has allowed her extensive insight into the vast range of human experience. Her new book, Yesterday Never Sleeps, delves into her personal experiences with family trauma and helping others work through their own. You can learn more at JacquelineHeller.com. Jackie, welcome to Out of the Fog. Hi, Karen. I think we do all have an inner saboteur to greater or lesser degrees. I mean, some of us are more self-critical and self-loathing. Um, those people that are lucky enough to have had good enough parenting and have good self-esteem and self-love are, are, are much less likely to have a, a nasty inner saboteur that's undermining. But to some degree, we all have a moral code that we, that we incorporate. We have society to deal with. So cultural standards are sometimes perfected to a degree. Um, like in Victorian times, or certain groups are more uh, rule rule bound than others. Cultures are different, so to some degree, everybody has a moral code that they feel they have to abide by, and so we have an inner critic. Mm. Um, and I think of you know we all have a mental committee that's that's installed within our brains and our minds, and some of us have a more benevolent. A judge leading the leading the round table and some of us have a more critical voice and hear hear nasty things coming at us all day we we have audible thoughts that are critical so it, it varies but i think to some degree we all can benefit from calming the inner saboteur and the way to do that is by mindfulness and by learning how to free associate they're two very different processes but they're closely related and there's not much written about it but i have some thoughts so yes yes we do all kind of do have some inner saboteur that we need to manage you've titled the book yesterday never sleeps what does that mean it sounds a little scary <laughs> Well, it's not scary if you learn to know yourself well, and it's really about getting to know ourselves in a very specific way. You know, our unconscious mind drives 95% of our thought process. In other words, we're not aware of 95% of what we're thinking or doing at any given time. Um, so the automaticity of our, our, our functioning 
is something we take for granted. And I think we, we need to understand that and, and embrace that and get to know our unconscious mind, kind of sidle up to it and befriend it and not be afraid of it. The reason we're afraid is because so many of us have inchoate kind of unclear terror, anxiety, worry, and we don't know why. I mean, there's so many people that, you know, there are people that are ill, of course, but then there are people that are not ill, but kind of have suffered many traumas or even a major trauma, but they feel like they've worked things through or they have no reason to be unhappy or anxious or worried or have failed relationships and they just don't know why. So the one of the main tasks we have before us is how do we learn to know what our unconscious motivations are? Where do they come from? How do they, how do we, how do we, how do we become who we are and how do we get to know that person without fear, but with, with, with look, look, looking forward to doing so. And, you know, most of us um, are, you know, are, are raised in a way where we can have compassion and sympathy and empathy and we know ourselves well enough, but you really can't have a good relationship or a great relationship unless you know yourself. You can't really know another person. And it sounds selfish and self-indulgent, but it really isn't. It's the way to it's the way to loving to loving and to loving kindness, to my way of thinking. And it's empowering because it offers us an opportunity instead of being controlled by things we can't understand. It offers us the ability to to really look at what we're feeling. Exactly. And if we understand ourselves by, by tapping our unconscious mind, and there are different ways to do that, then we, we can take responsibility. We, we can, we're, we're like a puzzle. Um, if, we, if we think of ourselves as having different parts, and the more we fill in our, our tale, our narrative, our life narrative, and our, and our, and our history, our, our ancestors, our parents and grandparents in particular, the more solid we feel. It's like, it's like completing a puzzle. There's a sense of relief and a sense of groundedness that we get when we have historical context, meaning his historical for our own life and for for our ancestors and there's no there's no magic to it it's 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 kind of a fairly straightforward provable provable phenomenon i mean children and adolescents for example who've survived um, terrible things like hurricane katrina this has been studied through duke university that th we've discovered that those that are can tell you about their parents their grandparents where they're from, where they live, what their lives were like, who are connected to their history, to their roots, fare better. They become more autonomous. They become more, uh, they have better relationships. They do better across the life scale in all, in all sectors. And so having, having continuity and having um, a, a narrative that that's updated for your context is very important. And attachment theory, psychoanalytic attachment theory teaches us that a replicable, cogent, coherent, um, full-bodied, you know, dimensional narrative that's constantly updated for, for your present life context is super important. And that people that that have this ability are are more securely attached. They have better relationships. They have better jobs better better life circumstances and have overall a sense of well-being and health and that's kind of what my book's about it's about how to create this narrative and how to create an inner self that is an observing part of yourself you know we have many parts to ourselves but we need to create an observing self like like a little part of yourself that's perched on a on a tree watching your life or like the truman show where you're watching yourself as a reality show and you and you basically um you basically learn how to do that. I mean, most 
look, children, or it's part of an ordinary development to do that, to have a part where you watch yourself and you, you kind of annotate what happened. But being able to develop that part of yourself, there's no end to how developed that can be. And the more developed it is, the more intuitive and the more you can actually forecast your future if you know if you know yourself well enough and you watch yourself. And it keeps us from having hair, you know, trigger, knee trigger reactions to things. And it helps us learn to calm overwhelming emotion which is the raw intense emotion that makes us react violently or or you know it, it, you know behave it, it improperly or do things that are that are irrational so learning how to how to meet that part of yourself and and advance it is the best thing we can it's the best habit we can form i think in life is to have that part of yourself that's an observing self that's that's neutral that's impartial and that can withstand anything even under the worst of circumstances you have that piece that says oh Okay, take a deep breath. Hang on. Let me think about this. Let me think about, let me feel what I feel, label it, and then think about how I feel, and then make a decision about how I'm going to react. And that is, a, that's a lifesaver to, 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 to leading a, a, a life, a good life <laughs> to my way of thinking in a summary. And I'm thinking there's so many layers to that, Jackie. There's, there are. I'm thinking about that idea of the inner saboteur and how Sometimes we are upended when we tell ourselves things that aren't true. Um, so that sabotage voice might say, I'm making this up. You'll never be successful because X, Y, and Z, or that's not going to go your way because A, B, or C. There's that from that observing place, there's an opportunity for then with practice, being able to filter out what is true and what is happening now and kind of separate that from what happened in the past and what is the the trigger or the whisper of that inner sabotaging voice i think that's absolutely true and well said i think look we all have you know we all have some kind of inner critic but the the goal is to be able to look at ourselves and not criticize ourselves more i mean that could be an argument against what i'm saying that well if i look at myself more i'm just going to hear more of the nastiness i'm going to hear more of the criticism so obviously you know if you have obsessive compulsive disorder this might not be the best routine you don't want to sit and be mindful but what i'm talking about is really learning how what it is that makes you so self-critical because what's true might be true internally but it may not tr be true in, in your behavior you know maybe you you think something very negative of yourself because that's been inculcated our inner mind comes from our internal relationships and our mind is basically the the output of our brain's functioning and our mind can do play all kinds of tricks on us and basically you know we can we can deceive we did look we we are masters at self-deception we protect ourselves by all kinds of mental defenses you know humans are the best at protecting ourselves and that's just part of that's just part of being alive part of evolution is we're, we're we're meant to survive we have survival instinct right i mean if you put your hand into a flame you're going to automatically withdraw it because you don't want to get burned you don't have to think about it it's automatic and we do that with our psych psyche too we automatically construct barriers against mental and emotional pain and we don't want to look at those because we don't want to be in pain. You know, it's like, but it's there anyway. I mean, when you're driving your car, you, you, your, your rear view mirror is not going to do the trick. We know there's a blind spot. We know we have to be conscious of it and take a look. Otherwise, we could get into trouble and have an accident. And so our minds are, are constructed to have these components psychically that 
that keep us safe. And, um, and, and, you know, I have a combination of different constructs from historically from psychology that I've used to practice and to have my own idea about, you know, mental stru- structure of the mind and it includes Freud to some degree, which we can go into later. But yes, I mean, we, we all have the ability to be self-deceptive in ways that, in, that advance us and in ways that harm us. And some people are, you know, can't, can't quite figure it out. But it, but by by being focused on that part of yourself that can observe and learning how to develop that, that is that is the key. And the way to do that is is by 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 mindful re- reflection and becoming self reflective, and that means some very specific things. And by focusing on your narrative, and those are the, and and there are different ways to do that, of course. But that's really what I what I propose and what I write about. And I use my own memoir in the second half of the book to demonstrate a mindful narration, because telling a story is is the facts, but. But a, na- a narrative is really annotating it with thought and thought about how you, you know, uh, how you feel and then an explanation of how you, explanation of how you feel. What does it mean that I feel this way? What does it mean that I have butterflies in my stomach or a lump in my throat? And where does that come from? And the more you think about these things, the more the associations occur. And it's like it's like the World Wide Web. It's connections and hyperlinks in your thoughts that take you back into your life and then further into your parents and grandparents history if you if you have the f- good fortune to, to have them around when you think of these things i never thought of it like links and hyperlinks so just a click immediately takes you someplace else absolutely and you, you can practice that you can practice that by mindful my mindful reflection mindful meditation and also by the free associative process which freud freud discovered and and psychotherapists still use when they say, I mean, anyone that's psychoanalytically oriented, regardless of the type of therapy you're doing, you ask a patient, just just speak, speak as freely as you can, just whatever's on your mind, whatever comes up, tell me. And those things, they're like dreams. They're things that that you're trying you're trying to get closer to your pre-conscious and your unconscious mind by not inhibiting, by not filtering, by not by not putting sensors on your thoughts, and by not censoring. That's why Freud had people lie down and close their eyes and not look at you because that's why that's why people get into more fights with the internet and 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 texting because they're not as cautious. You don't have eye contact to, to use as a, as a barrier to, to saying things that are unfiltered and uncensored and conceivably rude. You also don't have tone and you don't have, you lose a lot of things, but um, so, so that that's the thing when you're, when you don't have to face someone, it's much easier to speak freely. Um, but so, so speaking freely is a way to get to your unconscious, just like dreams are. Um, so those are, those are two ways to learn to speak freely and mindful meditation is basically focusing on your breath or focusing on an object or something. And just the thoughts that filter in, which are going to be continuous sometimes, um, you just say, okay, I, I respect you, I, whatever thought I'm having, but I'm going to set you aside for now. I'm going to keep trying to focus on my breath because I want, I want, I want to be able to focus and have some calm and then see what comes up, see what comes up and set it aside and look at it later because it could be fruitful. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Dr. Jacqueline Heller. Her new book is Yesterday Never Sleeps, How Integrating Life's Current and Past Connections Improves Our Well-Being. You can find out more about Dr. Heller and her work at JacquelineHeller.com. When we find ourselves in trigger, 
when we're in that moment, when all of a sudden, and it may not make sense, everything gets hot or bright or loud, or we flip out, what is the quickest way or a quick, safe way to start to calm things down so that we can get, because from trigger to the observing part of ourselves, that can feel like a really far, they, those can feel really far apart. The quickest way is to say, take, okay, Jackie, take a deep breath. Karen, take a deep breath and don't react yet. Take a moment and see what I'm feeling. Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling um, disappointed? Am I feeling ex excited? And try to focus on that and then see what comes up for you. And but but to do that every day, all day, in sort of the many ways, the many ways that to to, to begin to learn to focus on the changes in your body, because as as Bessel van der Kolk says so eloquently in his extremely popular best selling book, "The Body Keeps the Score," those little shifts in your in your physicality, those emotions are the key. Those are the key to the big stuff that's where the that's where the money is because those shifts in physical sensation are the hallmark of what goes on mentally um that you're not aware of yet so the physical stuff precedes the thought um so if i feel if i feel crestfallen or i feel disheartened i realize that and then i think oh god well i had lunch with so and so and they were they were they made a negative comment about my book or they made a negative comment about my appearance oh your hair looks good the good thing about your haircut is it, it'll your hair will grow back great oh. haircut but the good side is you know the the bright side is it'll grow back you know like a backhanded compliment or something that makes you feel your your heart sink a little bit but you might not realize it until you focus on the sensation and then you can go back and say well why did that bother me so much oh because you know my my mother used to say things about my appearance all the time that seemed critical and i have a self critical voice so you know you know you have to work on that bit of your mental your mental attitude or your inner your inner your inner critic uh, we all so we all have some kind of inner critic we're not born that way but it's easy to make it's easy to turn a kid that it's easy to make someone that way and and it's and it's hard to it's hard to get out of it if you don't start soon i mean if you don't start early enough so um it's, it's certainly very hopeful i mean it's easily done but you need to identify those triggers in order to to act upon them so start small with daily bits of of okay i'm going to be focused on this i'm going to write it down or i'm going to keep track of the insults or the injuries that i feel or the shifts in my mood state i was happy now i i'm sad now i feel scared now i feel anxious why and just try to focus on identifying the emotion and then think about it and see what comes up for you. And I assure you, if you, if you do this, we will, most of us will be able to come up with things that, that are, that relate to it. And it's still, I still make connections to stories that I've written to things that I thought were clear. I get another piece to the puzzle. I'm like, Oh my, no kidding. That, that, that's why it feels so crazy making to me. You put that together and I'll be happy to give you examples from my own life. I'd love to hear an example of that. So here's an example. Now, some of it you have to understand is with afterthought as an adult, I'm thinking back on things that happened in my childhood. So for example, in my book, I write about, I mean, it is my memoir and I write about all kinds of things that happened in my childhood. And, and my fr friend of mine said to me, Jackie, well, these things happened to me too. Like my parents were, I was latchkey and my parents worked hard and I had a kind of a nutty, you know, 
cousin or brother, but I, I don't, I don't think I'm so dis, I don't, not to, what distinguishes you and what distinguishes me is the trauma it, because the emotions of your parents and of the people you grow up with, the emo, the intense emotions stay with you and they create intense emotion in you. Those things are passed on directly by directly being with, with people that have intense unprocessed emotion. So, the, and they go with stories that might not be nutty. So for example, I mean, this this is a bit nutty, but when I grew up, my 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 parents were both persecuted people. They were both Holocaust survivors. They both had post traumatic stress disorder. I I think by by retroactive diagnosis, um, as I thought about it, as I became a doctor and a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a psychoanalyst, I thought back and I thought they definitely both had PTSD. And that explains a lot of their behavior. My mother had what we call isolation of affect. She was cut off. She told stories continuously, all kinds of stories about terrible things that happened without recognizing that they'd have a fearful impact. And my father was quiet, but he had nightmares and he'd scream at night, howl at night. And it was terrifying. It was like something terrible was happening to him, but I knew he was dreaming. And at the same time, during, I was six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, and for several years, I'd hear I'd hear babies crying outside of my bedroom window, and I'd think, why are these babies? Why are these mommies leaving these babies outside alone at night? Little babies, I couldn't imagine. Now I realized much later that my father was basically doubly orphaned by the time he was seven, which was my age at the time, that I was terrified of these babies being abandoned. So there's a connection, for example, to my fear. Much later, of course, I told my mother, why does why do mommies leave their babies out? She started left. She goes, Jackie, they're cat, they're little kittens. They're stray cats. And I I didn't I didn't occur to me. I mean now so my friend, my friend who said what makes you different than me is that she would not think that they were she would not think that they were babies that were being left by their mother. She would think she would know that they were cats or that they were some kind of stray animal, you see. And and then 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 of course much later, as recently as a few weeks ago, I made another connection to this fearful thing because I'm afraid of dogs. I mean, I'm kind of, not really, but I'm kind of afraid of big dogs. I'm kind of over it, but most of my life I was afraid of big dogs and I was afraid of big dogs because when I was very little, I heard my mother was bitten by a German shepherd. And, and I was, I was that that's awful. Well, then we got a German shepherd when I was three and her head was bigger than my body. And I thought she could chew me up in a second. I was terrified of this dog and this dog had not been spayed and she'd had litters of puppies over the years to come. And they couldn't be taken care of because my parents were busy. They were working and they were also didn't know about these kinds of things. And my brother and I, and some of these puppies would die and my brother and I would bury them in the backyard in, in shoeboxes. And we had like this, we had this shrine in this graveyard to these little puppies that was just absolutely gruesome. And, you know, and I'd hear about the bodies being piled into mass graves during the Nazi, during the Third Reich and people being murdered. And so these kinds of associations gave me a sense of terror and anxiety about animals, about life, about, you know, nightmares and and so that that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, the intense emotions of your parents and what you're around or the or the lack of discussion about them um, creates a kind of anxiety or fear 
that might be rootless. And until you understand what it's about, and I have a chapter in my book, chapter 21, I think about called the epic dream. It's a dream that followed me around for 50 years in one form or another until I finally resolved it. And I put the pieces of the puzzle together and I finally had complete relief from this dream that haunted me my whole life. So there's there's an there's a, a detailed example of what the kind of thing I'm talking about making connections. I'm this is making me I'm just thinking about your friend talking about her life and you looking at your life. Can we can we ever really as people outside understand what someone else is going through? You have a lot of insight as a psychiatrist and a doctor and a psychoanalyst. Can we ever really feel into truly what someone else is going through even our parents yeah yes yes and no i mean to a point you can i mean i'm a hyper empath so i feel i feel pain um i i take it on too much i'm not good at shielding myself for my patients or my you know my people's pain so that makes me a very good listener and a very good friend but it also kind of makes me not feel well sometimes mm. so and to that degree, but can I, God forbid, understand what it's like for someone to lose a child? Really, really understand? No. I mean, to that degree, no. But we don't need to have that kind of understanding to be good people. We need to have enough understanding to 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 be able to relate to another person. And until you know yourself and you love yourself and you know yourself well enough, good, good bad, and ugly, you, you can't understand another person that well because you're too confused. If you're not straightened out with what your what your bugaboos are and what your what your blind spots are, you're going to just project all kinds of things onto other people, and that's why victims often become perpetrators. Mm -hmm. So until you really know yourself and understand where you're coming from and the things that have shaped you, your your behavior and your consciousness, um, we're we're going to be in the dark. So so yes and no. I mean, by really understand. To the exact same experience unless you've had it probably and even if you've had the same experience you're going to you're going to interpret it and process it differently because we're all different we have different structure mental structures we have different defense mechanisms we have different life experience no two people are the same thank goodness that's what makes life interesting and we can all be beautiful and we can all be wonderful and we can all be all kinds of things but as far as knowing ourselves unless you really know what 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 ticks you off and what makes you tick, you know, you're not, we're not going to go too far. We're not going to advance much. And until you know how to repair, until you know how to repair a rupture between another person, uh, you have to have a good fight in order to do well. You have to know how to recover because recovery is the key to growth. I mean, repair and recovery is the key. If you can't repair something, you can't recover. So, you know, one of the reasons I turned out sort of okay, back to my friend's conversation with her is that my, I was well-loved. I was well-loved, but the emotionality, the intense emotionality of what was wrong with their lives that they couldn't process. Because if you're busy running for your life, Karen, you can't pay attention to another person. If you're in a state of, in your state of heightened anxiety and over overreacted with your adrenaline and cortisol constantly racing. You can't pay attention to another person. You know, you get, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first, right? And if people that are per running from persecution and still in that mindset, they they can't they can't really attend very well, even if they're the, they have the best of intentions, which my parents did. And knowing that can allow you to forgive and have empathy. So you know, children that are raised with understanding. A good enough parent, as Bruder Bettelheim would say, good enough is 
is not what people nowadays think. They have to be perfect helicopter parents. You just have to be good enough, which means consistent nurturing, consistent taking care of, consistent love and consistent affection so that the kid could almost take that for granted, that they're, that they're going to be loved and taken care of. Um, that's what you need. And that's what you need to become empathetic and sympathetic and compassionate. And fortunately, many people do have that, but unfortunately, many people don't. They're not lucky, so lucky. For those people who aren't so lucky, they need to really work on themselves in these ways that I'm mentioning. And even though, at least as, as I believe, we can't literally repeat the past. It can't happen exact right, because we're different and chronological time moves forward. We can, though, be triggered by those past events and as we carry that, we can create new kinds of damage. Absolutely. But then we can, right, we can warp our own path. We can warp our the path of our kids. And that feels like it's part of, that's what's the heart of this book to me, it feels like to me, is that coming into a place of awareness with compassion that helps you step into your power, and me too, our power to change our paths. Exactly. You also have to have curiosity. You have to have interest. You have to be, you have to be interested. You have to have conscious curiosity in to reflect and to, and to know yourself and to know others that secondarily to, but to know yourself first so that you can know others well and, and do well at being a human being, um, becoming a better person, uh, becoming an upstander, not a bystander, becoming someone who's proactive and who has agency and has their own center of initiative and who has, um, who can be autonomous. These are the things we want for our children. These are the things we want when we grow up. And by the way, all of this reflection is mirrored and in 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 neuro, in the neuroscience of what happens to our brains. The the nerve bundles and the connections that go from the prefrontal orbital cortex to the higher centers of cognition in the in the cortex, these bundles are dramatically increased in an explosive network with this kind of mindful thoughtfulness, this kind of mindful processing, this kind of associative connecting. Um, it's it's also the seat of creativity. It's what makes people creative, these kinds of associative connections that link link these linkages. Um, and they are they are manifest and they are they are corroborated and they're co- coincident with explosive neuron development in the higher higher order functions of the brain, meaning the executive function, meaning cognition, rational thought, reasoning, uh, um, consecutive um, sequencing, um, forethought, under, and, and having having a sense of what's coming. And the more you know yourself, and the better these connections are, the more you can forecast where you're going. The better sense of better judgment you have in all things, your your own life and others. And these are the people that make better decisions. These are the kind of the masters of the universe, so to speak. To quote Tom Wolfe, people that do well, that succeed have this have often have this they have this capacity and it, and it allows you the capacity to mentalize to be with another person and kind of know where they're at to know what they're thinking it's it's the it's the key to good um communication all around in business and personal life and the key to good relationships is being able to communicate well and to anticipate what the other person might be thinking and you might extend that into mind reading or into psychic phenomenon or you know, paranormal things, um, intuition. And, well, then, and, so- and that, I mean, intuition to me is less a tool for prediction than it is a tool for flexing and adapting, right? So what I'm hearing you say 
is that when we can, in quotes, predict our future, decide where we might want to go, it really is about taking control of the path and being resilient, not in the way that we might steal ourselves against disaster or against the babies left out on the sidewalk in the middle of the night, but be resilient with whatever comes, whatever changes we make. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Resilience has to do a lot with flexibility and the ability to see the big picture and see all kinds of pathways and possibilities to have one, more than one road to, to traverse. You've got different ops, different, different obstacles and different courses you can take being able to maneuver that, you know, not just in a video game, but in life mentally. And uh, that is the, that is very important for, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into resilience, but that's a key ingredient by for, for sure. Now, Jackie, the clock is catching us here. We just scratched the surface. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you and how they can get a hold of your book? Well, they can find me on JacquelineHiller.com or JackieHiller.com. I think they they connect to each other um, in keeping with my conversation with you. Um, and they, the book is pretty much available anywhere that books are sold. I mean, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, Walmart, Kmart, Target. Uh, books a million, I think pretty much anywhere, but uh, online. Um, and uh, that's, that's how they can find me. And I've, and they, they can just Google me their articles I'm writing. Um, I just had an article published in inner self called uh, had had a manager inner saboteur, which we spoke about somewhat today. Um, so that's, that's, that that's it. Oh, wonderful. Jackie, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've been talking with Dr. Jacqueline Heller. Her new book is Yesterday Never Sleeps, How Integrating Life's Current and Past Connections Improves Our Well-Being. You can find out more about Dr. Heller and her work at JacquelineHeller.com. And of course, you're always welcome at KarenHager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if it feels aligned. And the fun continues over on Instagram, where I'm Fog City Psychic. There's more out of the fog content over there. Occasional pictures of Maisie the dog taking a nap (laughs) and lots and lots of jigsaw puzzles. So you'll always know what's on my puzzle table when you look at Fog City Psychic on Instagram. And thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world. And a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.